0: Psychology is one of those things that's talked about a lot in sales, but in my experience, most of the content doesn't really talk about practical ways to apply it. So how do I, you know, use tonality or urgency or scarcity or whatever it may be? How do I actually use that throughout the sales process or when I'm doing outbound to help me generate a sales outcome? If you've ever thought about that before and had trouble applying some theoretical types of ideas like that to selling outcomes, I think you're really going to like this episode. Before we get to that, my name is Jason Bay. You can call me Jay Bay. You're listening to Outbound Squad, where we help sales reps and sales teams turn complete strangers into paying customers. So if you're doing any kind of outbound to land meetings, so making cold calls, sending cold emails, you're an account executive doing full cycle sales and Doing discovery demos, multi-threading, that sort of stuff. You're definitely in the right place. So our guest today, Moore Ascellini, he uh, runs a company called From Demo to Close. And what we talked about is timeless principles, psychology principles that you can apply to sales. And what I like about Moore is he's extremely tactical. So we're going to talk about stuff like a tech, a tactic, a, a technique. I can't talk today. <laughs> a technique that I really enjoy. And it's coming from a stance of qualifying the prospect out. So in other words, approaching a sales call from the point of view of figuring out if the prospect is a good fit for your solution. It's what we should be doing anyways, but you're looking for reasons why they're not a good fit and really trying to talk the prospect out of your solution if it doesn't make sense. It's really, really interesting. It, it totally, I did it earlier today on a sales call, actually, because it's been something I've been working on over the last couple months. And it gets the prospect to either defend why they're interested in it or why they have that problem, or it gets them to agree with you so that neither of you waste your freaking time, <laughs> which is also a, a good outcome. We talk about tonality. We talk about how to ask direct questions. So if you're, if you need to be a direct with the prospect and it's uncomfortable for you, what you should do. And we talk about a bunch of other stuff that I think that you'll really enjoy. So, without further ado, let's get to the episode with more the interview here. And before we do that, make sure to like, subscribe, leave a rating, all that kind of good stuff on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It really helps the show grow, so that we can get more guests, just like more. All right, let's get to the interview. So I gotta ask you, just because I come from a B two C background, and then coming into B two B, and if I did my research correctly, it looks like you came from real estate. If I, uh,
1: yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, real estate. Post college, during college, yeah. I was um, in re- B two C retail. So I worked yep. at Fossil in, in the mall, and then I worked at Kenneth Cole, and so I did. I did that. Um, I sold hair irons in high school. My dad was able to get um, us. He knew somebody that sold them for cheap. He's like, "Hey, do you want to sell them, make some money?" I was like, "Yeah, sure." And so I sold them to people I knew in high school. But um, so then college was was um, retail, and then post college was real estate. I was actually I was actually supposed to be a copywriter. Funny, funny enough. I studied. I I really wanted to do copywriting. I was a copywriter, copywriter for a company called Zimmerman Advertising. I think they're. Uh the largest ad firm, ad agency in in Florida um, and did some copywriting there. And I really liked that. And then I found myself in real estate because everyone in Miami does real estate. I was like, oh, I'll do that. So that was, um, so sales has always been a thing, but B2B, yeah, I didn't come from a B2B background. I came from a purely B2C background.
0: What parallels do you see from a psychology and principles standpoint? What parallels do you see between B2C and B2B?
1: Yeah, I mean, doesn't matter if you're selling to an executive or a manager or a homeowner or whatever it is, like human nature is human nature. And so people like to feel heard. People resist when they feel attacked. Um, If you tell somebody they're wrong, they're immediately going to put their guard up. And that goes for B2C or or B2B. Um, So if you understand human psychology, you can sort of leverage that for whatever industry you're in. Um, Also, people like to talk about themselves. So, even yeah. if you're, let's say you're selling a property and you're, uh, and it's somebody's had a par- the apartment or a house for 20 years and they're finally letting it go and they have this like unique chandelier. If you ask them, like, wow, that's a fantastic chandelier, you, you, where'd you get it? They just start opening up. Same, same for B2B. You can talk about their business or the company they built or whatever it is and they end up talking about it. So, there's a lot of um, uh, similarities there.
0: Yeah. I asked that because, having come from a B2C background as well myself, I feel like people try to make it out like they're so much different from each other. And yeah. <laughs> obviously when you get into more enterprise and complex selling, there's a bunch of things that you need to do that we talked about in your podcast around multi-threading mm-hmm. and doing all this kind of stuff. But really the principles are pretty sound around how to, how to have a good conversation with someone or a small group of people. Um, what got you into psychology? Was this stuff that you read about like, cause I know copywriting, it's so weird when you do all of this stuff. Cause in my business, I do the marketing, the selling, the delivery, and you start to see how everything is connected. The same stuff that I use when I'm creating copy for a landing page, it's the same stuff I use when I'm selling, which honestly being a sales trainer and coach with salespeople, you're selling a ton just to get concepts by. And I'm just curious for you, where did the interest start? How did you educate yourself, I guess, on, on the psychology piece and get interested in this?
1: Yeah. The psychology came from my love and passion for, for copywriting. I was very, yeah. in, I don't know if you watch the show Mad Men on AMC. Um, I don't know if they still yeah, play, definitely. but that was like my go-to show. The reason why I got into, psych, um, copywriting entirely or advertising was I watched a movie with Keanu Reeves. I think it was called Sweet November. Um, and, um, I remember there was a scene in the movie where he meets a girl. I think it was Charlize Theron or whatever her name is, and he's driving a Mercedes, filling up his his car with uh, gas. It was like brand new Mercedes. And she's like, "What do you do?" And he looks at a billboard, and he's like, "I'm in advertising." And I'm like, looking at the Mercedes, I'm looking at the billboard. I'm like, "Shit, I want to be in advertising." <laughs> like I was, I was like naive. I was thinking, I was like, I just want a nice Mercedes. But then yeah, I—that's badass. Movie, I want to be that guy. <laughs> yeah, that movie got me into. Hey, what is advertising? And then I study, I was like, wow, this is exactly what I I naturally do with whether it's my friend selling hair So it started with interest of copywriting. Um and sales obviously um you start seeing it in sales. And like I have kids, and then once you have kids, you really start seeing psychology with kids. Like example last night my son was being really stubborn and going to sit in his seat eating his pasta, watching his blippy, which is like you'll eventually you'll know what that is, um, on his iPad. And I tried the aggressive, typical approach we all know. Like, if you don't do that, then you're not going to get this. You're not gonna like ultimatums. It didn't work. I was like, you know, I got to switch it up. So I just grabbed him. I'm like, I need to tell you a secret. And I started whispering, I'm like, Can you please help, Dad? And like, I'm whispering it, and I'm I'm almost empowering him. And he immediately said, he's like, Okay, yeah. And then he goes to sit. And so I see psychology play a huge role um, with dealing with kids. And dealing with kids is way more difficult than dealing with executives because you're not dealing with rational human beings you're dealing with kids that are driven by emotion um yeah but it all started with copywriting that movie
0: yeah copywriting it's uh robert cialdini's uh you know influence it was kind of a primer for me in that i'm like when you figure out that there's something there's there's layers to what you're seeing it's something i experienced very similar with i was really into stand-up comedy for a while and i was not. I was not like a funny comedian or anything like that. But I got really into doing like for a year and a half going to multiple open mics every week, working on jokes. And I took some classes and you're like, oh, wow. I thought it was just people bullshitting on stage the entire time. No, it's extremely it's well rehearsed. Yeah. Like when you see a one hour special on Netflix, they worked an entire year to get that perfect one hour, like tight show. And it's the same thing with marketing copy with sales, with whatever it might be, there's so much going on that if you understand why stuff works, you can start to have a lot of fun with it. Was there a moment in your career, if we start to move into more of the sales portion of your career, especially B2B sales, were were there any moments that you remember where you're like, oh, wow, like there was this piece of psychology I used and I actually used it on purpose, (laughs) you know, and it helped. Is there anything like that that sticks out to you?
1: the most recent memory there's a lot right because uh, i when i started in sales like true b2b sales um my foot in the door or like my exposure to like sales education was like grand Cardo and love from hate him. but that was yeah. you know that was my sort of uh, um, mm-hmm. introduction um but my most recent memory that just pops into my mind was um i forgot his actual full benjamin something he's like i think that he's labeled as the gr- the UK's most hated salesperson, whatever it oh, was. Yeah. And I found a yep. video of him on YouTube um, doing a, a, a live cold call. And mm. there was the, the words that he used and the way he said the words and I'll, I'll say it now. Um, I was like, Holy crap. Could this work for anyone? And I literally, the week later, I, I wasn't sure what I was doing. This is before like, I started my business or whatever it was. I was like, oh, I'm going to cold call um, some um, insurance companies to see if I can help them with cold calling. Cause I was, Doing cold calling insurance back in the day. And I used that. I wrote the script out watching his YouTube video. I wrote that script out. I'm like, all right, I practiced it and I used it. I was like, I was so I was like, oh my god, it works. Like the guy says, Yeah. I was like, so what it is, it, it was specifically, it was like uh when you're calling the gatekeeper, and the gatekeeper asks, like, oh, is he expecting your call? Um back in the day when I was doing real estate, I was like, no, not really, blah-blah-blah. In this particular uh, Benjamin, this guy, uh, he said he better like that was the response that you should give, and you have to say it with like authority and almost like how dare you even ask me that question, and <laughs> and I tried it on when I was cold calling these insurance companies and they put me through. I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh my god, that that actually works. You have some yeah. people like, oh, that's not ethical, but I'm like, that works. I got past the gatekeeper once. I got to the decision maker. I used a totally different script, the one you're probably familiar with, with, which is, you're going to hate me. This is a cold call. Do you want to hang up or give me 30 seconds? I got that from, mm-hmm. from this guy, Benjamin, who I I think got it from Sandler. But for me, that was like the most recent memory of using the words and how you say them to penetrate what you want, whether it's a decision maker, or whether it's getting past a barrier. Mm. That was incredible for me. Um, there are other memories, but that was the most recent one that's, that was pretty impactful.
0: So did you understand in that moment, the psychology behind what you were doing yet? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Tell me more about that piece. When did you start to piece together the, you know, the psychology behind like the, why it works part of it? When did that part start to click for you?
1: Yeah, so I like to record my calls, um, whether it's my demos, my calls. So I recorded that those cold calls that I was making, and I would play them back, but not the same day. I'd play them back like maybe a week later, when my brain was not sort of immersed in the call in the moment. And then I heard it back, and I was like, "Wow, I like I sounded like someone you don't want to mess with." Just my not necessarily like a bully, but just like this person must be important. Um, And for me, like that, when I was listening to the playback, that clicked for me. I was like, "Huh." Um, in the moment we say things we don't even even with marketing copy, there's certain marketing copy. There's Eddie Eddie Schlainer, um, if I'm butchering his name, he uh is a great copywriter. Um he has a company called Very Good Copy, but he talks about copywriting being it has to be clear, not clever. Um if you yeah. want to sound clever, it's like someone sound sounding clever would be like, Hey Jason, you're a great salesperson. That is a nice compliment, but that's not the goal. The goal is to actually help you, not for me to sound like a great salesperson. Um, I'm sort of digressing here, but when I was listening to the playback of the call, I wasn't trying to sound clever. I just sounded very clear, concise to the point. I sounded authoritative. um, And I realized it was a psychology that I was using. Um, Even again, back in copywriting, there are certain words that you would use for your landing page that doesn't sound clever, but it's really clear and it works. Mm -hmm. I think that is, there's moments of like, Crystallization of of the of of the process and the words you're using, um, and that's why I reference copywriting a lot because we use this, the same words that I would use on a sales call, I would use on the landing page
0: or conversation yeah, it's, with somebody. It's, it's so crazy how like the parallels between written and spoken word, and with the authority thing, it's really. I was just talking at an SKO about the last week about this to the group authority bias, where if you sound like a person that has authority, people are automatically trusting of authority figures. And on the phone, it's just speaking like someone that runs a business versus speaking to the person like a salesperson or speaking from someone that's like lower status. You know, it's really interesting when you start to really think, I don't know. I don't know how into like mental models and all that kind of stuff you are, but I love, uh, like first principles thinking, like really getting into like, let's step back from the situation. Like, why does this thing actually work? What are we trying to accomplish and use the principles and the psychology versus the scripts and templates and that sort of stuff. And that's a whole nother topic too, that we should talk about another time is how is hard it is, it, it is to teach people this, this stuff.
1: <laughs> is it, I think it's Maslow's hierarchy of something. I forgot that the full term of it. hierarchy of it, needs. Yeah, yeah. And the first one was survival. I don't remember what it was. It was survival, uh, love, this, that. Um, and that hierarchy of needs plays into copywriting and in just sales conversation. So if you ever, uh, like when I uh, was first getting into sales, creating urgency when you're offering something like the deadline or to get this promotion or this deal, whatever, ends at this time, at this date, that hits one of those needs. So there's a lot of psychology and it works in copywriting too. You put a, a timer on mm. something, whether it's a countdown, it works. It, it could be gimmicky, but it works. Um, you know, if you look at any click funnels ad on Facebook and you click on it, it just works. It, it, I hate it, but it works. Um, and yeah. it goes to show you that psychology doesn't really change. You can put a suit on a person or put the shorts on them. It's still going to work.
0: Yeah, no, totally. Let's get into some of those psychology principles because, uh, In doing a little bit of research your your freaking LinkedIn profile, dude, is such a good highlight reel. (laughs) But (laughs) some of the stuff you were, you were doing as a VP of sales and, you know, getting reps to 40, 50% conversion rates, you know, uh, decreasing the average sales cycle by just a shit ton. You know, a, a lot of the stuff that you do and teach has really, really good results when implemented correctly. When you're working with reps and sales teams now, what are some of the kind of general psychology principles that you bring into the sales or outbound conversations?
1: Yeah. The first, I always start with, whenever I coach, before I coach or anything, I always start with like this, the mindset, which you probably see with every course or every coaching program, but um, how you sell really, or how you think affects how you sell. So if you're going into the conversation expecting to close that particular person and that they are a fit, your body language, your tonality, the words that you use will sound more salesy. Josh Braun calls it commission breath. I don't know if he officially dubbed it that or, or not, but um everything about you just comes off like desperate, needy. Um side note, I remember um after doing real estate, I had a buddy of mine that started it. He was I I wasn't obviously successful at it. My friend was and he was like, maybe, maybe the reason why you weren't successful because you, you taught me everything I know, and I'm very successful. But maybe when you were calling prospects on the phone, because I used to do cold calling, um, you just you needed that deal to close so badly that you're relying on it so much that you sounded desperate. Not what you said, but just maybe your energy sounded desperate. I was like, shit, you're right. That that could be it. And so that translates back into sales or SaaS sales your job isn't to close every prospect. You shouldn't go into, Hey, I need to close everybody. Your job should really be, I want to help them. Even if it means I don't close their business, because if we're adding in churn and clawbacks, if you're just going to close or try to close everybody, and let's say you're just the savviest person and you can close somebody, even on a plan that isn't for them one month later, three months later, they're going to cancel, leave a bad review you get clawbacks. So what's the point? Um, So one of the, most important principles I teach is help the prospect, even if it means you don't gain the business. So if they come in and they think that they need a high plan based on your plans on your, on your product and your goals to help them, you know, they actually need a lower plan. Sell them on the lower plan. Someone, I remember I said this to one of this, this AE and they're like, yeah, but I could close them on the high plan. Why not just sell them on the high plan? I'm like, the reverse works also. They come in thinking they need the lower plan, the lower tier, but because your job is to help them, you're you they actually need to be on a higher tier to solve their problem. So in that case, you're going to upsell them on a higher tier. So it works. It balances out. So go in with the mindset of helping. That's the most important part um,
0: of of how I the principle of teaching the mindset. Where do you find that reps struggle to find that balance of selling versus helping?
1: Where, like, why do they find it, or where do they, where do they come across that obstacle?
0: Yeah. So a different way, of be, a better way of asking that question would be: What do you say to a rep who you know is that that doesn't necessarily align with their current set of values? Because I think that there's where I'm kind of going with this is on one hand, on one far end of the spectrum is this this, uh, like selling out of service and I'm going to do whatever it takes, like to help. And I'm like, I don't know that people are necessarily completely like that. I mean, there is a motive here as a salesperson to do good in your job, make money, meet the goals of the company and all that kind of stuff. And I'm just wondering how, how you think about striking kind of a balance with that and maybe Mm -hmm. a rep that doesn't quite lean far enough into the Hey, I genuinely want to help this person because they feel a lot of pressure to hit their quota or a company goal or whatever, how you might talk to or help someone like that. So when I do start with
1: that part of the training where it's like you have to help them and service them instead of trying to make money. Um, I don't usually lead with that. I tell them your job in sales is to make money, a lot of money. Otherwise you shouldn't be in sales. Um, and if you can help somebody along the way, that really, that's the cherry on top. So I started with there. I, I sort of, formulate the, the whole theory about it or the, the mindset of, of it is your goal is to make money, but you can make a lot more money. And I made th- that same argument where lead comes in, they on a, they think they need a, a lower tiered plan because your, your goal is to make money and help them. You have to do everything in your power to get them on a higher plan because that's the plan that serves them. So I pitched that more than anything of like, Hey, like, no, why should you pay for onboarding when we can waive it? I know we can waive it. Not that, it's it's more so um, it's more sort of leading the conversation about making a lot of money, but in order to do in order to make a lot of money, you also you have to come from a place of helping. Um if you're coming off selfish, if you're coming off like, hey, I need to just milk as much juice out of this prospect, you start playing the short game, not the long game. Um you don't you go behind their back when you're trying to multi-thread. Um and so I use those examples. And a lot of times when I come into an organization and, and they coach the salespeople, I usually pitch the manager first. I'm like, hey, listen, like based on the conversations I'm listening with the reps, a lot of them are like skipping the discovery. The most important part, or they're like prematurely offering some sort of discount or selling against themselves, it seems like they think it's close everyone no matter what. So I recommend that we change the mindset and methodology here where it's about, Helping the process. So I try to convince the manager first or whoever is in place yeah. to be sold on it. Then he has his or her group meeting with the salespeople. And then I come in and
0: reinforce that. Yeah. It's gotta feel risky if you're not accustomed to that. Because the thinking has gotta be, you know, you're usually not coming from a place of abundance in sales, unless you happen to be in a position where your pipeline and you're getting so much inbound or you run a business and you get a lot of inbound, you know, and, uh, coming from that place of abundance, I think is super, super important where it's, you know, I can say no so that I can say yes mm-hmm. to more people. And the yes, as I say no to are going to be bigger deals anyways. Um, so, okay, let's keep going with this. There's another one that you talk about around tonality, What are your thoughts and tonality, and what are some of the things that we should be thinking about in our tone?
1: So you were giving an example earlier, um, where I think you were trying to like you were doing stand-up comedy. Uh, Is that the reason why you have that backdrop of the brick wall? It's (laughs) 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 open mic night. Open mic, yeah. yeah, (laughs) But one of my favorite comedians back in the day, I don't think he performs anymore. Was Dane Cook? Um, Oh yeah. I mean, and Dave Chappelle is one of my favorite, even Kevin Hart. So they were my like current favorites. Um, but if you know, I think, and you can probably agree to this, but um, there's a level of prep with telling jokes. And there's a lot of it is timing and tonality. If you can get into the character and imitate and impersonate. Um, so tonality comes into play when you're saying what you're saying is important, but it's how you're saying it. And then it's almost like the pace in which you're saying it like a good joke, like a good punchline. I like to think of it as if you look at, if you like subscribe to any newsletter, I'm sure yours, um, you'll notice if there's an important piece of the newsletter of like the body of the email that they want to like point out, what what do you typically do? You bold it or you increase the size or you change the color or you add emojis there so you can point attention to that word. You can stress that word or that sentence. So it creates contrast throughout what you're reading. Tonality is the same thing. It creates contrast when you're speaking. Otherwise, it's just monotone. So, if you wanted to, um, like, uh, an example I was giving you, I was telling my son, I was trying to convince him to go watch his show and eat his pasta. Before, I was just yelling, yelling, yelling. So, there's no contrast. It's just yelling. Then I toned it down and I said, Hey, his name's Gabriel. I'm like, Gabriel, um, can you do a secret? Can you do me a little secret? If you go to the
0: pasta, I will give you dessert.
1: And the way I said dessert was like an excited, like, oh my gosh, dessert. And so that got him pumped up. That got him excited. It works on a child. It works on human beings also. Um, and so controlling the pace in which you speak and then adding or stressing and adding emphasis on certain words that are the punchlines, the ones that you really want them to stand out, just like you would bold the email. So that is like my – how I visualize tonality.
0: Got it. So how could someone – you spend a lot of time talking on the sales process, that you know, kind of discovery demo. What are some practical ways people could implement some of this in their discovery or demo calls?
1: Yeah. So one of when it comes to discovery specifically, discovery also flows in demos. So we'll just talk about discovery. It's yeah. a common one. From the reps that I speak to, a lot of them are struggling with. Sounding naturally curious. Like I I don't know how to sound naturally curious. It feels like I'm interrogating, or I'm just like going through the, the motions of asking questions. So how do I sound more curious? And so um I started paying attention to um how I communicate with like friends or whatever it is, and I noticed that whenever I'm genuinely curious about something, I'll do two I'll say two things. Not necessarily at the same time, but I'll from time to time I'll say it this way, and some other times I'll say it that, that way. And one of the words is by the way, and it and then the other word is like. Curious, or I'm curious. So I'll say something like, mm. "By the way, Jason, you mentioned earlier that you were doing stand-up comedy. I'm curious," and so I use those words interchangeably. And so, if you implement the just the words "by the way" in curious, saying those words will almost force naturally force your brain and your tone to sound more curious, just because the word is curious. Um, that's that's a very like direct example of something that I teach.
0: I love that because it's, uh, it's little prompts, I think, that are super important. Any kind of habit creation, having a trigger for that habit, super important, especially if it's something that's really easy to do. What I'm kind of getting from you in this actually is like the way that I am thinking about it is a lot of your mood and your current mindset is how you think about stuff internally in your head, obviously. And then there's another component around your physicality. It's why I like to stand up when I make cold calls Mm. versus when I sit down. It's why I like to, when I'm delivering a training or coaching call on Zoom, I stand up during that call because that's what I would normally be doing if I was speaking in front of the group and my energy is higher. And Mm. that automatically fixes a lot of the stuff around my mood and my tonality and all that kind of stuff. And what I'm hearing here too, the common critique of tonality is it – You know, a lot of people might say, oh, you should just be curious and it will naturally come out in your tonality. Well, that's really easy to say to someone that can turn that on like that. that That's what about the person that's not naturally curious? There's this prompt also where you can, you can almost attack this from the other end of it too, and just start doing it. The action, even if it's not, even if you don't feel curious, just saying those words, like you said, it forces you to, it's almost like a prompt to yourself. And I think of that with these kind of things, if if you're listening to this, think of little prompts like this, by the way, I'm curious, follow when prospects share some juicy details, just make a habit of responding in that way. And you'll ask a question that sounds like you're coming from a place of curiosity. And before you know it, you will start to be more curious. I don't know. What do you what do you think of that? That just kind of occurred to me. Yeah, yeah 100%.
1: I, you just have a better way of articulating than I do. I have brain fogs from not sleeping with my kids. But but I think in, there's in psychology, I don't know if there, if this is like the scientific term. I doubt it's the scientific term, but it's like the power stance um, where oh, yeah. if yep. you want to feel power powerful, posing. it's like, yeah, power posing, like stand with your hands open and all that. I've tried it. it. It works. You just have to sort of meditate on it a little bit, like stand up and mm. like, like let it sort of em, like engulf you, but it works. And if you want to like, it's funny if you ever watch like uh any sort of shows or movies and it's like the person going to like the bar and they want to seem cool and natural so it's like okay so they lean on the thing because that's what you naturally do when you feel comfortable so those work those prompts work if you want to i remember i was getting on um i think it was john barrows he had me on his uh uh, like webinar whatever it was uh one time it was my first time there i was like really nervous i was like i'm nervous i sort of like tense up and I, I talk fast and I, and I mumble. And so I was like, all right, what would someone that is relaxed do? What do I do when I'm talking to a friend, when I'm talking to Jason? i probably sort of lean back a little bit. I'd breathe a little slower because I'm relaxed. Um, I'd feel comfortable with pauses. So my prompt was lean back, loosen up, like hands out, lean a little bit to the side, breathe slower. That's another little trick. Try to breathe fast and talk slow at the same time. It's literally impossible you're forced mm-hmm. to talk fast because you're breathing slow. So if you breathe slow, it'll force you to talk slower. And that's another little trick or little prompt you can do to control your, your tone and your pace of speech. But 1000% there's, there's something with um, the physical movement of your body and then attaching that to like how it comes out in word or in tone.
0: Oh yeah. There's so much to the physiology and the psychology kind of being connected. This, this group I was with last week it was like 600 people dude 600 Shit. reps and sales leaders big fucking group i'll send you a picture after this was that your biggest first time with group yeah it's the largest group by several hundred that i've ever spoken into wow. in front of a like in person i've done webinars you know bigger and I, dude i get nervous before webinars but you can't see anyone it's just you and yeah, a guest yeah. or two you know or you by yourself or whatever but as they're you know this guy uh mitch shout out to mitch he uh He's the guy that kind of brought me in and kind of championed this. So he's doing my introduction, and, and while I'm standing there, I'm just like, doo, doo. my heart is just beating. Dude, I'm feeling. And that's it always, the... yeah. That's always my cue. Is the same when you breathe. I do box breathing. So in four seconds, hold it for four seconds, out for four seconds. And I think with a lot of the stuff that we're talking about remember to breathe, like, are you breathing? That's a really simple, simple thing that will help you control tonality and pace is just your breath. Like you said, really slow it down. Uh, There's another thing that you talk about, timing your asks. So when to ask for certain things, I don't know if this fits into it either, but the order in which you ask about things, there's a lot of really interesting stuff. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you work with reps on that?
1: Yeah. So there's, I mean, there are two parts of it. It's the order in which you ask things. And then there is asking things that you really want to know, but you don't feel comfortable asking. Um, (laughs) Like how to ask direct questions without being impolite. Um, And a lot of reps shy away from asking the really important questions because of that. They're like nervous and they don't want to ruffle any feathers or they don't want to step on their shoes. My advice to them is, Tonality is important, but it, what you say is also very important. So, if you want to ask a question, a direct question, but you don't want it to come off impolite, then instead of keeping that thought in your mind, share that out loud. So, like, hey, Jason, I have a question to ask you. It's sort of direct, but I don't want it to sound impolite. Is it okay if I ask you? Like, I'll just share my feelings with you mm. and then I'll ask permission and that, and then it works. That's an example of being able to ask their right question without being in play or, or a tough question. Um, if you want to, if some reps, they're on a demo, if you're more on the S side and they feel like they can close a prospect on the call, one call close, it happens. Um, but they also don't want to come off super salesy. Say that. Hey, I don't want to come off super salesy, but given that during this demo, it seems like everything has checked your boxes and the price is right. And you need this by this date because of X, Y, Z, Would you kill me if I asked you if we signed up today? Like you can use that. Share your emotions with the prospect. Don't keep it in here. Uh, That's the transparency side of sales. So that's more so how to ask more direct questions, less of the timing of the
0: questions. I love this. This is probably the number one question I get asked. It's mostly younger salespeople. It's a lot of women too. I think for good reason. They're afraid of being pushy for how it's going to come off. And for women, I think a little bit, I've talked to my wife about this a lot. It's there are different consequences typically for women in the workplace. If they're, if they're very assertive and so they're very tend to be more conscious about that kind of stuff. But the, the advice that I always give too, is it's narrate what's in your head, dude. Cause that's what people want to know. They don't know what you're thinking. And if you just narrate, Any insecurity that you have in asking the question and what you're thinking, it removes a lot of that mystery. And it's almost as a prospect when someone like like if you said, hey, I'm, you know, I'm a little bit nervous to ask this question because I think it might come off a little salesy. I'm going to immediately lean in as a prospect. And like, I don't I don't want to see you just like watching an open mic that goes south. Yep. I don't want to see you fail because that's really uncomfortable for me to sit here and watch you just fail in front of me. I'm going to lean in and really want to help you because of how much candor you're bringing into the conversation and vulnerability that you're sharing.
1: Yeah, you said something really interesting. I was, like immediately, I was like, "Oh, that would be perfect." So you're saying that um, that you're seeing certain uh, some women are afraid to ask a question for being pushy. So you can you can take that narrate. I like how I love how you said it, narrate that out loud. And then insert a little tonality. So tonality is also not only how you say it, but it's sort of the timing in which you say it. And that could be something like, mm-hmm. Jason, I have to admit, I'm a little afraid. Pause. Build tension. I have to ask you a question. But I'm scared it's going to come off a little pushy. I'm scared. You saw that tonality? No, 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 no. It's just that tone. It's almost like yeah. a rhythm. And that plays into the psychology. I don't have the proof. and the I just know that it works because I've tested it. And then when I, you know, when people are like that with me, I was like, "Oh, that works." I when I see someone asking me a question or speaking to me a certain way, and I whatever I react, whether it's negatively, positively, empathetically, I try to be very self aware. I'm like, "Why am I feeling this way? I'm feeling this way because they said it like this, or because." And I try to mimic that in my world. But that would be a perfect example. I'm afraid. Pause. Build tension,
0: and then ask your question. Yep. Yeah. I I love that. I. Anytime you have to ask a tough question, you have to, I really think this is a difference between average and world-class reps. It's a huge, it's the level of candor that they can bring to a conversation and address the elephant in the room. And I see people do it in very different styles. I was just working with a client Mm -hmm. yesterday where one of the guys, Nick, he's the, the director of sales. He likes to be very East coast style. He's very blunt. It's just his style. And it comes off in a very endearing way. That's very disarming. Actually, if I did that, I would sound like a fucking asshole. Yeah, me too. My style, yeah, my style is what you did just there. I put a big smile on and I say, hey, I'm going to ask you a really tough question right now. Is that cool? And the person will kind of chuckle. And then we have this moment of levity in this really serious conversation. And I think if you take the risk, ask the question anyways, and when you're practicing what more is sharing, you're probably not going to execute it perfectly the first time you do it. It's probably going to feel really awkward and who knows what might happen. But I think practicing this, dude, you could practice with your manager, (laughs) practice with people internally on your team when you have to have tough conversations. But uh, dude, I love this piece. So let's keep going. So the second part to this was the order in which we might ask for stuff or the order in which we might talk about pricing or Mm -hmm. the way we might present stuff. How should we be thinking about the order in which we structure things or questions or stuff that we present
1: yeah so i think when it comes to discovery or if you're doing a disco demo or disco first and then a demo whatever it is i think the most important part is to find out what the motivation behind the prospect even being whether it's they agreed to a meeting via cold prospecting or it was an inbound demo request finding out the motivation behind them saying yes Mm -hmm. behind that motivation could be a pain and behind that pain could be something bigger. And so the order of operation is really important. First, find out what the pain is. What is that problem? That could be something like, hey, Jason, you, know, you had mentioned that you wanted to look at these particular features. Out of curiosity, what's happening in your business right now that is putting these features top of mind? What, what challenges are you having right now that these features are really important? So that's the first question. The second question I want to know is, <clears throat> how big is that problem? Because on a scale of zero to 10, zero being not really important, I'm window shopping to 10 being mission critical. If those problems fall on the eight, nine, 10s, level of urgency is high, motivation is high. I can build, I can probably create or leverage the urgency that already exists and more likely to close that deal. So I may ask something like so we know about the problem, so whatever that problem is, um, and I want to know how big that is. So you could say something like, hey, Jason, on a scale of like zero to 10, zero being like you rather go to you know watch a movie and 10 being mission critical, where does that problem fall? You can ask that question like that. And they may say it nine, what would make it a 10? What would make it a seven? What would make it a five? Whatever it is. So that's the second question. How big is that problem? The third thing you want to know is who it's affecting. Is it just you that's dealing with this? Or I can't imagine you're the only one dealing with this within your company. Finding out who else is involved in that problem. And then the third, uh, what do we got? That's uh, three. Number four is um, when do they want to solve that problem by? That's the timeline. That's like, hey, in transparent talk with salespeople, it's like, hey, when do you want to take out a credit card and pay? That's what we really want to ask, but we're not asking that. So hey, given that you're dealing with this problem and you're not only dealing with it, your manager is dealing with it, your VP is dealing with it. And um, it seems like it's a 10 because X, Y, Z reason you gave. When would you at least want to start solving that problem by what's a timeline to actually initiate this, this, this project. I'm asking about timeline. The timeline question is extremely important to ask after you've found out what the problems are. A lot of reps, what they do is they ask about the timeline after they go over pricing. And the reason why I don't think it works is because the moment, and a lot of times, by the way, reps go over pricing at the end of the sales presentation or the demo. So what happens is they do a little discovery. They do the demo they show pricing, then they ask all these important questions. Who else is in your company? what well, the stakeholders, timeline. By the time you're done showing pricing, the prospect knows what your game is. They know you're trying to close them, so they already put their guard back up. But when the call starts, the prospect wants something that you have, which is the presentation. So they're more willing to, ask, to answer your questions. So I recommend bringing up the timeline question way up front in the beginning. The decision-making question, the decision-makers and the stakeholders bring that way up front. When you're trying to set up next steps, most reps set up next steps at the end of the call. Set that up way in the beginning. That's where all the guard is down. Assuming this demo solves your problem, assuming that you see this product solves your problem, do you think it would be a bad idea to schedule a follow-up with your VP, given that they are also going to be using this? Do that in the beginning. If they say yes, great. You've just set up next steps in the beginning of the call. So that's an that's, yeah, that's example of timing.
0: Yeah, I love that too, because you're giving the, that's what I always want to note when I am being sold to, and I'm not, I get much less cold outreach than you would probably think. I don't really get a lot of people cold calling me. It's very few people, maybe three to five cold calls a week. And it's even less, maybe on average one per week from someone that's selling something B2B. So mostly it's just telemarketers selling random stuff. Mm -hmm. Get very few cold emails, maybe a couple dozen per week, not, not a ton. And so when I'm, I say that to, when I hop on a sales call, it's not like people are selling me stuff that costs several hundred thousand dollars. It's like HubSpot for 3000 bucks a month or something. It's not a crazy big deal for them, but I'm always wondering when I hop on a call, what the fuck are we going to be talking about? And what the, is the next step? If I like this, how could I move forward? I, I want to know that. And, and, I, and I'm quickly trying to determine when I can end this conversation. At what point is am I going to be able to find out that this is actually not what I'm looking for? And a lot of this, like from what you're sharing, it's, dude, it's basic agenda setting. I think Wingman had a stat that 58% of reps or something like that don't even set agendas at the beginning of the call. So the prospect has no freaking idea when you're going to talk about stuff, when you're going to bring it up and you don't even get a chance to use what you just shared because you never even talk about what you're going to be talking about. I I don't know why it seems like such a simple thing.
1: So two things. Number one, for the reps that aren't setting agenda, at least set an agenda via email before your call, like set them, send them an email in advance. And the way I think about, I use a lot of metaphors. Um, so I'm, um, i'm israeli my family immigrated to the u.s so i'm limited with vocabulary and i realize over over time that because i'm limited with vocabulary because i'm israeli i like to use a lot of metaphors and analogies so i'll use one um so i think about like right now if you you're in oregon right so
0: uh, right oregon uh basically i'm in on washington barely on the washington side in vancouver of portland have you been to miami yet or not yet I don't think we spoke no, about I this. Haven't. Not yet, right? Okay. No.
1: So let's just say you decided to take a road trip to Miami to come visit me. And I gave you my address. What's the first thing that you'll do?
0: Well, I'd put it into Google Maps to see how Google long Maps, Waze, something, yep.
1: right? And yep. the reason why is what does it spit out? It spits out the destination, the beginning address, then tells you how to get there and how long it'll take. Without yep. it, you, you don't know where you're driving. You won't drive anywhere until you get it on Waze or Google Maps. That is what agenda setting is. It gives the prospect a roadmap for the call. That's how I think about it, at least. Um, Tell them where they're going and how long it's going to take.
0: Yep. And what will happen next and all of that Mm -hmm. other kind of stuff, you know? Uh, What are your thoughts on opinion-based questions? So I'll give you an example. This is a question I've been asking a lot that gets a really good response. So I'll ask, like if I'm talking to a VP of sales, I'll say more so, tell me a little bit more about your top two or three reps when it comes to whatever we're talking about. It could be outbound, could be cold calling, could be discovery, whatever. Mm -hmm. And you're like, yeah, yeah, these are, these are my top reps. I'll say, what are your top reps doing that you wish everyone else would do? Like what absolutely drives you crazy that the rest of the team's not doing that these people are doing. And it's this opinion based, like, it's like an emotionally loaded question. To get the prospect to really share their opinion. Cause they're what they're not going to say is, I wish they would use this sequence that had X percentage response rate. They never get into any really analytical stuff. Yeah. It's usually, I wish they would make more phone calls. They have such like so much call of reluctance. And it and it and it gets the conversation in a place where we're we can talk about something that they're really fired up about. I'm wondering, you know, one, what you think of that kind of approach, and two how someone might be able to use something like that more on purpose.
1: I mean, I think it definitely plays on the psychology of, of the person, which, you know, me, I'm a big fan of that. I want, I almost wanted to speak candidly with me and like off the record. Mm. And I think asking that type yeah. of question allows it to be sort of off the record. You could even say sort of like off the record and then ask the question if you wanted to. Um, yeah. Big fan of that. I've personally never, never used that, but I will now. Um, and what was your, what was your up question to that?
0: Oh, if someone wanted to get, use, you know, the psychology to get the prospect to ask more questions that get the prospect to share stuff that they care about a lot emotionally. And where I'm kind of going with this is that I think that a lot of, hmm. A lot of reps take the quantifying part of discovery, especially a little too far. And it's just all numbers and let me find the gap. I love gap selling, but it's like, yeah, you need to find a gap, but like, I need to also find out what you really care about first. And let's, let's find a way to connect everything. I think that's something that it it could be kind of tough to find, depending on the person you're talking to, to really find something that emotionally they really, really care about and have a lot of passion around.
1: Yeah. So I'll tell you what I do for that. Um, and the reason why I do it this way is because I pay attention to how I am when I am being demoed by vendors mm-hmm. and I'm paying attention to my emotions. Like, where am I like getting really like riled up and heated up? So what I do is I, I unsell. So a lead came in last week, actually, and they're looking for improvement on their demo, whatever it was. And so one of my questions is like, all right, well, you know, tell me about your challenges. What do you like? What are your goals? What have you done? And so they're explaining to me, you now. now I want to almost convince them that maybe I'm not the right solution and maybe they actually don't need a solution. So I'll say something like, so why change anything? Why not just keep it the way it is? It seems like it's going really well. I'm almost like telling them that, Hey, maybe you're thinking about this the wrong way. Every time I do yeah. that, they end up convincing me why they actually do need it. It's the same. I yeah. did it with uh, Jen Allen at ch- when she was on the challenger. It's like, they ask a co- you ask them about timeline and they say, you know, next month, you know, after I say, well, why not later? Why? Why next month? And then they start telling you why they actually need it sooner. Um, that is what I've seen actually trigger an emotion. Like, no, no, no. I need it now because blank, whatever that is. Yeah. That's something that I have personally used. that works really, really well.
0: It's like, it's a way to stress test how serious they are. Yeah. I heard you talk about that on the the Challenger po- I missed the gen host. I told her this. I was like, I missed that you hosted... The podcast, yeah. <laughs> it's nothing against Andrea, I think, who hosts it now. But I'm just like, I miss this listening to Jen. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I heard you share that. I was like, oh, that's that's brilliant. I started using it, and it, it it's exactly right. It works exactly like that. It puts the prospect in a position now where they're defending their stance in a way that is favorable to you. Or they might say, sometimes what happens too is they might say, actually, it's you're right. It actually really isn't that big of a deal. Or they might say, I, I don't know. I can't really think of a reason why. And now I know prefer if I'm they, talking about something that they, yeah, exactly. I prefer that I don't want
1: <laughs> yeah. I have I have a few I have a client right now that has a bunch of AE's and they're like, I didn't get they come up and sound like what happened? He's like I was gonna one call close them, but I couldn't. I'm like, I don't want you to one call close them. They're not sober. They're they're heated yeah. up in the moment. I want them to be sober when they make a decision. And so if 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 they're if you've convinced them like, Hey, this is not really that much of a priority, not convinced them, but you've helped them see that this is really not that much of a priority. They would have found out later on anyways, during that sales yeah. cycle while you're trying to follow up. I prefer that.
0: Yeah. 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 You absolutely want to know because if, if you think about, especially in an enterprise sale, how much work, even in small enterprise deals, like even when you're selling stuff, that's like my bigger training deals are like 50 to hundred K for like a six week program. That's a decent sized sales team. That is getting into a sales motion where I have to have a lot of people involved in order to sell that. I get to get a couple people from enablement. There's got to be sales leaders. Typically, there's going to be a BDR leaders. I got to get a VP of sales. Like There's quite a bit of people. Mm -hmm. Even in a deal size like that, which is small compared to what a lot of people listening to this probably sell, it requires a lot of work from the people I'm threaded with to make shit happen internally. They're not going to do that if they don't emotionally care about this thing. They're not going to put... Their political capital on the line. They're not going to sell internally if they don't care about it. So I think this is like one of the biggest hacks. If you can do really early in the sales process, just to gauge how much someone actually cares and get them to defend how much they care about something or don't. This care. happened.
1: There, there were there were like I think it was it was two months ago. I had a uh, somebody booked something on my my like calendar whatever. It was three or four AEs the same company, and I didn't expect mm-hmm. that. I thought it was just it was only one name there. Um, and I got on the call, I'm like, Hey, what are you challenges? And they all sort of like chimed in. I'm like, so why not just get this from your VP of sales? They're like, ah, and they all like looked at each other, smiling like where well, our VP of, VP of sales l- left. And even when they were here, they were, and that really brought out the emotion. They were really hating it and then they ended up signing yeah. up. But, but questioning the status quo, why not just stay with the status quo? Why change anything?
0: Yeah. It, like you said, it's stress tests up. And you get them to sell themselves out of staying in status quo versus you having to sell them, which is way hard, infinitely harder to sell someone out. So of. So hard. You've been doing this for so long. Why change? I don't want to be so in that hard. position. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, dude, this is super fun, man. Uh, I think some of the bigger things that I got from this, I love the qualifying people out. Uh, I love the, by the way, I'm curious prompt. That's a really, really good one for someone to engage that curious tonality. And then uh, I really took a lot from the the way that you ask direct questions and the advice around that I think is really good. Just if you have an emotion or something that you're feeling or a, some level of discomfort, express that while you ask the question. And there's just something so endearing about seeing someone that is vulnerable and comfortable and confident enough in themselves to express when they feel a little bit of discomfort. Yeah. <laughs> or, I've done or, that. Or even nerves in- and... <laughs>
1: In, in follow-up emails, like let's say I was trying to close out the quarter, whatever it was, um, and I happened to be following up with a prospect that I knew had a big problem, a very hmm. particular timeline, but I wanted to create that urgency. I sent them an email and I said, hey, Jason, whatever it was, Jason, um, this is going to sound like the most salesy email you'll ever receive, but the only reason why I'm doing this is because if I don't, you're going to kill me. And then I give a reason why. That is more for them. like yeah. Given that you had this particular challenge and this was your timeline, and then I try to loop in the urgency offer but you can do that via email too it works
0: yeah i love it where can people go to connect with you and learn more about what you're up to yeah
1: they can um if you're an ae and you're looking to um close more SaaS deals and focusing specifically on discovery demo and close then you can visit um fdtcuniversity.com um or you can find me on linkedin i have my podcast SaaS talks but yeah fdtcuniversity.com or demo to close one of those would be fine